This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Welcome to Monday and the Think Tank. Uh, today, we have Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld is sitting at the table. Uh, and we also have Roy Williams. He is an author of a book called Pendulum. And he's not really an author. Um, he's actually one of the greatest creative minds um, in America today. He's done a lot of work for a lot of the products that you buy on trying to find out what exactly, how to sell a product, how to, what, what, what is your mood that would make you want to buy a new watch or a new car. He wrote a book in 2012 that is um, quite remarkable because it's not about products. It was written about products, but it tells us where we are. And it shows the danger that we could be in if we don't change our ways. But we can change our ways. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, a little bit about uh, Johnson and Weld, the libertarian uh, ticket, and also what's happening in the Christian community. We have an old friend joining us uh, back at the table. Dan Andros is back in our think tank. Let's get started right now. Everything in American political discourse now is always shaped around, okay, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat, and then you can't get along. We have structures for political conversations that grew out of an era that no longer exists. We're headed towards real trouble. If we keep getting angry people in front of us, we'll tear each other apart. The two-party system is not only broken, but it's a dinosaur of an old model. People are aware that somebody with an agenda other than theirs is making a decision for them. The biggest lie of the election of 2016 is that it's a choice between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Why are you allowing this film crew into your life and your campaign? I've never feared losing anything. Gary Johnson is polling higher amongst millennials, independents, and the military than the other two candidates, but yet he was excluded from the debates. How does that happen? Who's deciding who can run for president? It's not you or I. It's not the voters. There's very little democratic accountability. The whole system has become a big organization. 
perpetuating a set of interests that are at odds with the public. It's more that the public doesn't recognize its own strength and that it can change it. The country needs a great deal of healing, and this election has brought that out. The leadership just failed. We're being taken advantage of, and it seems as if no one's standing up for us. My taxes from my business and my income went to bail out the same bank that won't give me a deal on my own damn house. I've never experienced a moment in my lifetime like this where we could be on the edge of World War III in two or maybe three places in the world. We need to elect persons that will speak to the values and beliefs that, that we embrace. If third-party candidates were heard and seen and taken seriously, all of a sudden everything changes. I think it's a stochastic event that throws us into a constitutional crisis that forces the country to deal with whether or not this is the system we want. They will only listen until the voices become so powerful in a collective way that they cannot do anything but listen. Let's get people to understand that if they want to fix their country, they better look in the mirror. There's strength in numbers. We're an army. We're giving people a chance to vote for something as opposed to the lesser of two evils. We're not spoilers. We are the first vote. This is probably, um, you're going to play a big role in this in, the, in just a few minutes because I want to talk to you about what is happening to us. Um, and how to change it. Roy is uh, with us, and Bill, Bill Weld from the uh, uh, Johnson Weld campaign. You watch that. You see how divided we are, pulling each other apart. Both parties, they make uh, a lot of money and retain a lot of power by sowing the seeds of discord. Yeah, they want to maintain their monopoly in Washington, which is why they say, we have a monopoly on power, and so you have to choose one of us. It's just, it's an argument that assumes its own conclusion, not to be confused with, of course, a lie, the right. word of the day. So how do you, how do you, how, how would you and Gary change that going in? Well, the first thing we would do is address the budget of the United States, which is completely out of control, needs to be cut 20 percent. I did that my first couple of months in Massachusetts. I I understand that, but I'm saying change, change. You have people who now have bought in deeply on both sides all across the spectrum of America that this is rigged. I've been ripped off. I haven't been listened to. Um, uh, no, nobody, I, I, I have no control over my own future, and it's right. this group that is the problem. But you've got you to break that two-party monopoly. And I feel great about the Libertarian campaign this year. The people, the volunteers in support of the Libertarian ticket are the most uh, altruistic and engaged and idealistic of anybody I've met this year. And, and I feel like I'm part of a movement, not part of an organization. You know, the blue and the red candidates, they feel like they're a spear point for a great, big, towering organization. It's a different thing. Uh, we're going to open it up to anybody who wants to, to join in. Can, can I ask you, um, it doesn't seem to me like anyone is even interested in courting the constitutional conservative. Um, there has been no, there's no party, no candidate that, that is left standing that can even articulate what that person is or what they're feeling. 
Well, I'll articulate it for you. It's the okay. basis of the Libertarian Party, and it's the idea that our federal government is a government of enumerated powers, i.e. limited powers. And the Tenth Amendment, which is part of the Bill of Rights, says the powers not expressly delegated to the federal government shall be reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. That's a direct quote. And that gets honored uh, in the breach all the time, the way Washington plays the game. Washington is not playing the game in the interests of the country as a whole. It's playing the game in the interests of two powerful political parties, and their monopoly has outlived its usefulness. But how do you respond to, then, people who are saying, because you were on the show today um, on radio. We spent an hour with you. And um, one of the last questions I had was, tell me about Obamacare. In my opinion, it, it, it was one of the least libertarian answers I've ever heard. <laughs> um, because it, it says, we're, you basically said, we're going to replace this giant state apparatus that has no place in the Constitution with a better state apparatus. Well, I think I said uh, the, the government and the insurance companies are making all the decisions under Obamacare, and we want to have doctors and patients making the decisions. And I would narrow the mandate so it covered only catastrophic coverage, which would cut the cost of the system by a factor of 5 or 10 and then you would have patients and, you know, sellers of medical services contracting on a willing buyer, willing seller basis. As Governor Johnson says, stitches are us. Gallbladders are us. So we'd go to them and they would say, I'm willing to do this for you for $175 and, and this is what the procedures would be. You don't get that now. You don't know what the work is going to be done and who's going to pay that bill. And so the, gov I, I think the, that the be government is going to stitches are us? No, the patient the is. The patient going, is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's very much willing buyer, willing seller. I think Gary views the sharing economy as the economy of the future, and, and there's no place for the government in the sharing economy. What's a sharing economy? Uh, Uber. Uber. Lyft. Okay. Um, Jason, give me an update on what happened this weekend and what's happening in Mosul. So Mosul kicked off. Uh, they've actually they teased it for about a month or so really i think probably just more to keep uh isis off balance pretty much more than anything else just so they so they could basically stay off balance and know that there was something coming they just didn't know when um but um it has begun now uh, and it's a it's a combined effort from iraqi forces who are pushing down from baghdad and the kurds peshmerga are also pushing up i'm curious governor what you would think about that because this, I just was there about a year ago. It was a sectarian and political nightmare over there. You have Shia militias who are being sponsored by Iran and the Iraqi government. Um, you have them not playing so nicely with Sunnis no, no, from Anbar. Um, and now you have Kurds who probably have their own ambitions and what they want to do with Mosul. And you have all three of these forces combining on Mosul. From a United States uh, foreign policy standpoint, who do we get behind? Who do we support Yeah, no, we, we have uh, too, many, too many different factions marching on Mosul, just as we have too many different uh, uh, rebel factions in Syria. Yeah. In fact, some of those Shiite militias that were part of the assault on Mosul peeled off recently and said, oh, no, we're, we're going to fight in Syria instead. So they went across the border. Uh, but it's, it's one of the same reasons why Syria is such a mess, because we arm one rebel faction, they lose, their arms go to ISIS, now you've got, you know, lots of people who want to succeed, ISIS, al-Nusra, and then Jabat behind them, and there's going to be a pop-up successor to ISIS after we beat them. I mean, I think the march on Mosul will be successful. It's 30,000 people with U.S. air support against 4,000 people. Um, 
But you read about you read about the uh, the fighting c- capability of the advancing force, and they say, oh, several several hundred people of these thirty thousand are willing to die in the effort. No, that's not not a confidence inspiring opener. Should we be involved? Uh, speaking of Syria, should we be involved <clears throat> with the no fly zone, forcing that? Oh, I don't think so. I think that's a step towards war. Uh, it's just too too brittle. Uh, and uh, Syria, I do think there's not a good outcome. And, uh, you know, Putin uh, has, has all the sort of ground on his side. He's got a, you know, puppet ally there in Assad, and mm-hmm. uh, the United States is just about backed out there. I mean, I, if I ran the zoo now, I'd be trying to think, how can I avoid more slaughtering of innocents in uh, Aleppo? So well, that's what George Soros right now is, is advocating, that more governments get involved and that our government goes in because of the humanitarian crisis. I know with Mercury One, we're, we're the biggest humanitarian organization in Syria and Iraq right now, which is tragically sad if we, just our listeners and our viewers, are the biggest uh, over there. Yeah. But they want more uh, governments involved. George Soros is recommending. It, it, it appears as though this administration is going that way. They, they took a poll or a survey of the residents of Aleppo about a week ago, and half of them said, if we could get a path to safety, we would walk right out of our town, Aleppo, our beloved city right now. They're that certain that their kids are going to get killed in the bombing. So doesn't the United States have a, I'm playing devil's advocate yeah. here, don't we have a responsibility not for not for troops, not for boots on the ground, not not for blood on uh, on Syrian soil. Uh, you know, it's just too bad that you don't have anyone to talk to besides uh, Putin and Assad. Uh, you know, another thing you might do is think about some other part of Eastern Europe or the Baltics or somewhere where you could get some leverage on Putin. I think I think sanctions have been uh, they were helpful with Iran, and uh, maybe that's the way to go. But uh, troops invading. No, we've been there. We've done that, and it's not turned out well. So, so, go ahead. I just, I'm curious because if we do take a step, a large step back, and we don't, let's say, enforce a no-fly zone or get more involved, and aren't we kind of um, giving this area that we've kind of controlled for so long over to Russia, who has made an alliance with uh, Iran, uh, who is also pushing on Yemen? Actually, if, 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 like I say, if we, and that was another thing that happened uh, over this past week was uh, our warships were shot at for the first time since 1987. From Yemen. From Yemen. And those were the Houthi rebels who are supported by Iran. There's no way the Houthis did that on their own orders. There's just no way. I mean, Iran must have been, you know, pulling that trigger figuratively somehow by giving orders or whatever. So they have a reason to do it. Um, My fear is if we keep on, you know, basically just giving them, you know, saying, hey, here, take it, take it, you know, we're stepping back and, you know, retreating back to the United States... Um, they're going to control both of those straits that control, what, 40% of the world's oil? If we keep on uh, stepping back, Russia, Iran, and Syria are going, to, are going to be the ones that fill that void. Well, I agree with you. You don't want to uh, remit all the uh, Gulf of the GCC countries to the tender mercies of Iran. I mean, they're just right across the Straits of Hormuz, and I've spent the month of August twice in, uh, in Muscat, in Oman, and you can practically see the eyes of the... Uh, Iraqi uh, uh, Iranian speedboat captains there. So, you know, that's that's not an acceptable endgame. But, you know, I don't know that it's fair to say that we've been, quote, controlling Syria uh, in, in recent years. It's been a mess for a long time. Well, we, we've, I mean, again, I, you don't sound like a libertarian. We have, we have been in 
everybody's business in the Middle East for decades. Assad had everybody and his brother going up and shaking his hand and kissing his face, what, four years ago, saying he was the greatest. Now we suddenly have to get rid of him. I mean, we helped keep him in place, no, and now we're trying to get him to, out. I'm, I'm saying I don't want to invade. I think that does sound like a libertarian. Yes, yes, but to say that we didn't have a role over there, we've played a huge role over there. I guess my, my question is, is how do, we, how do we learn from the past and not be involved in everybody's business and yet um, not engage the Houthis uh, do this to our warships. That's from Iran. Russia is pushing us because they're sensing weakness. Well, I think we sent an airstrike right in on the Houthis. It's not like we turned the other cheek. Uh, you know, how do we learn? We look at uh, the Iraq invasion of 2003. We look at... Uh, what we did in Syria, what we've done in Libya, and, and those are Obama-Clinton uh, initiatives, uh, and I don't think they've worked out all that well. They're very unintended uh, con- consequences. Sometimes, as we were discussing earlier, sometimes they're military, sometimes yeah. they're even moral yeah. consequences. So I want to take a turn to uh, <clears throat> the domestic side of the issues, because uh, last night on... Look out, Governor. He looks like he's harmless. Oh, he's, I know. Here comes the high hard deadly. one. But, but I've told he's him deadly. that's, that's, that's uh, my zone. <laughs> <laughs> but, but last night, um, John Oliver, on his show last week tonight, he did a segment where he looked at Governor Johnson and Jill Stein, and he basically tried to paint you guys as kooks and stuff. But there was one specific issue he focused in on that I want you guys to address. You guys talked a little bit about it on radio this morning, but he said uh, Governor Johnson and Governor Weld want to, you know... Um, they want to cut um, uh, a variety of federal agencies, and they, they don't even know what's in them and stuff. Uh, so if you're voting for them, you're a kook, and I, I, I want you to take that. Like, if you guys are going to go in and start cutting federal agencies. You got that right. You got that right. No, that's a Washington insider speaking, saying it can't be done. One, one of the advantages that Gary Johnson and I both had coming into office was that governor was our first elected office. So we didn't know that there were cows in the budget. Uh, you know, we, we didn't even know there were cows, much less that they were sacred cows. And people who say you can't cut uh, the military at all or uh, the Department of Homeland Security or the Department of Commerce or the Department of Education really do not know much about Washington. I have never seen a layer of government that I didn't think could, that could be cut 15 and 20 percent. And, and the federal budget right now cries out for being cut by, by that amount. And those four departments I mentioned would be prime candidates. Even the military, even the Pentagon is saying, we have 20% more bases than we need. But no one in Congress will listen to them because they want to get reelected, so they won't cut a penny. And the, the commodity that's in short supply when it comes to budget time is always the same one. It's political will. And Gary Johnson and Bill Weld would have the political will to make those cuts and send a balanced budget to Congress within 100 days and make that make a balanced budget and term limits and, and initiatives that fly in the face of what the two-power monopoly wants are top priorities. Would you, be a, would, you, would you go in expecting to be a one-term president? Because a- Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not willing to be a one-term governor or one-term president, you're not going to get the job. So done. if you're a one-term president, the next guy comes Vice in. President. What? Vice president. Vice president. If you're a one-term vice president, you, you go in, you make those cuts. Four years later, they just put them back in. Well, you know, I was hung in effigy uh, during my first term because we did make uh, cuts. We spent, you know, less in year two than had been spent 
the previous year in real dollars, not just a percentage cut. So yeah, I had all the interest groups uh, uh, parading outside my house in Hyemian effigy with real flames. Uh, but then a funny thing happened. We cut taxes, we cut the budget, and the, the uh, economic picture in my state improved. We went from the highest unemployment rate among the 11 industrial states to the lowest during my first term. So then, you know, the protesters kind of disappeared at election time, and we got elected with, re-elected with 71% of the vote. That can happen. And Newt Gingrich said, well, Engler, you get down here and talk to my members so they will understand that you can take tough budget votes and still get reelected. That wouldn't be my goal, though. My goal would be to make the cuts. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk, you know, burning people in effigy, kind of up your, up your alley in one way. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the pendulum when we come back. Governor Weld, the one thing that you said that really alarms me is that you were excluded from the debates. Now, I thought libertarians were like a recognized party. It's not like a figment of anybody's imagination. We're on the ballot in all 50 states, and I would argue that uh, we're 35 years of age. We've lived in the United States for 14 years. (laughs) On the ballot in all 50 states, plus the District of Columbia, we're qualified to be in the debate. So 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 they they made up this rule, this commission, which is bought and paid for by the two parties, said, oh, no, you have to be polling at 15% nationwide to get in the debates. Why? I don't know. I, I mean, I think both those parties really didn't want an independent voice, much less a fiscally responsible one in those debates, because they would have been contrast losers. I think the, 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 what brought us to where we are today, which I think everybody in America recognizes as, as a crisis, you know, is that we have a binary system. Right. And any time, especially in the upswing of what we, we think of as a we generation, everybody working together for the common good, we have the problem of who then is defining the common good, and you, you have one choice to make. Now, I've said for many years, just as a pure marketing guy, it's really not politically intelligent at all, but I said, you know, it's easy to observe. 40% of America is going to vote for the Republican no matter what. 40% of America is going to vote for the Democrat no matter what. Presidential elections are actually decided by the 20% that's actually paying the least attention. They're the ones who just vote for the person. I really kind of like this person here. And, you know, I don't know what they believe, but they seem, you know, like they have good character and seem intelligent. That's a problem. Seem like they have a good heart, you know. And so my point is this. In your opinion, what would it have changed if uh, the libertarian uh, candidates were on the stage with... uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It would have changed everything because it would have been a flesh and blood, real breathing alternative. And all you hear from the R party and the D party is you can't vote for the other guy because that would be a disaster. It's not a very sophisticated argument. Those parties exist in Washington, D.C. for the main purpose of killing each other. We're not trying to kill anybody. We're trying to say, let's be fiscally responsible. But I think your point is, if I may... There's a poll came out. Seventy percent of Americans believe that Donald Trump is the dirtbag that he seems to be. Fifty percent, forty-eight percent of the Republicans believe that, but a lot of them are going to go ahead and vote for him anyway. So, I think your point is you've really got a twenty percent pool to pull from because it doesn't matter. They could put a sack of dog crap on the 
on the seat as long as it has an R or a D. Yeah, but that's no advertisement for the two-party system, the fact that oh, I agree. voters don't think. No, this no. is the year when people have to think for themselves. And if the whole 20% thought for themselves, then pretty soon we'd be at 20% and yes. we'd be dangerous in the election. They didn't want to run that risk. And you were asking for solutions earlier about yeah. um, how do you escape the terror of the upswing of a we cycle, which is where we're at Explain right now. for anybody who doesn't okay, know what it is. Okay, uh, uh, the we cycle for the past 3,000 years, literally since the time of Solomon, is we're torn between two good things as a society. On the one hand, we have... Um, yeah. You know, free expression, be your own person, do your own thing. The Second place individual. is the first loser, you know, the rugged individual, John Wayne, hooray. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. On the other side is groupthink, community, working together for the common good. It's not about one of us. It's about all of us. And we're torn between two, these, these two good ideas. And then we always take a good thing too far and suffer the consequences for it. Then we become hungry for what we left behind. It's been going back and forth every 40 years for 3,000 years that history very clearly delineates. And in the second half of the upswing of we, and people have been asking this, they're saying, how do you escape it? You escape binary thinking. And so the reason I zeroed in on this, Glenn, is you were, you were asking earlier, if there was something that we could try to make happen that was measurable, right? Mm-hmm. A goal that would help solve the problem. I'm part of that 20%. I'm happy to admit. I'm going... If you said, let's see if we can get a third-party candidate in every debate from now on, so it's no longer who do you hate the least. Now, all of a sudden, when you have a trinity of anything, three is the number of, of infinite possibilities, and suddenly people are literally forced to think about what each candidate is saying instead of just what party they represent. To get a third point of view on the stage changes everything. Because the tendency is to go binary. If you can escape binary thinking, you can defuse the problem enormously. It is a worthy goal. Yeah, I think, I think the American, uh, the Republican Party might very well split in two this cycle or at least by next cycle. So you get there automatically. Maybe you could infuse some libertarian thinking into one of the three. Uh, you describe, can you describe what you think, how you think that's going to break? And I'd like to hear your opinion on that. Well, even Donald Trump says he thinks uh, there's going to be a vastly different Republican Party in, in the next mm-hmm. five years. And I agree with him. And the one he's thinking about is the Trump faction, which is basically the know-nothings of the Whig Party of the 19th century. And then the other half would be the leftovers, maybe the nice people of the Republican Party. And if everything <laughs> shakes out the right way, maybe they can go with some new allies and elect Abraham Lincoln or someone like that. The next time. But so, you described that earlier, and this is why I said to you, I don't know if anybody knows who the constitutionalist is, because, um, you know, you described the Trump people and then the Bush people, but then there's the people who believe in small government, that believe well, like that Reagan would be, did. That would be the capital L libertarians. We're the ones who know that we have a federal government of enumerated powers under the Tenth Amendment, and that everything that's not spelled out for federal power is reserved to the people or the states. And that's a constitutionalist. And that's, that's Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. How do you see it breaking You, you asked about uh, what, what I think could happen to the Republican Party, okay? Again, speaking purely as a marketing guy, there are people who would rather be angry and afraid than bored. People literally would rather be angry than bored. They would rather be afraid than bored. Look at movies, okay? Look at the news, and they said, okay, but what about conservatives who aren't anxious to be angry and afraid? Right. 
They're concerned about society, and they're concerned about the economy. And I think if there's a split, that's where the split is. And I think people who, who, who lean toward conservatism have to decide if they're going to be angry and afraid. Yeah, I mean, it's the Trump people. Mm. Trump is trying to stir everyone up to be angry and afraid. Absolutely. He's good at it. Yeah, and, and those, are, <laughs> those are his voters. I totally agree with you. And, and the, call it the calm faction of the Republican Party instead of the nice or decent faction, but the calm one who want to be responsible about running the country. That would be the people I who might gonna, elect the Abraham Lincoln. I think you're going to find a lot of moderate Democrats <clears throat> join that party as well. Sure. Yes. Okay? Yeah. What happens if, because Trump this weekend had a lot of talk about um, that this is a rigged election. What happens? What, what's I that? I think it's a rigged election. It was rigged in the fact that these guys were left out of the debates. That's how it was rigged. I think Donald should be, he'd be, he would be telling the truth if he said, yeah, it was rigged because we left a third point of view off the stage that by everything in law qualified to be there. That actually, fr- that frightens me more than anything else. That's not how that he we're, means it. We're given a, I know it's not how he means it. <laughs> he <laughs> means, he says I he... I just wanted me- to make that point. Again. I know. Right. He said he means it um, because of the media. Um, but then he also says everybody should be at the polls to monitor, which I don't have a problem with. You should monitor what's going on in the polls. But if he is pushing this idea of a rigged election to people who want to be angry... Well, he has an agenda, and we can only guess what it is, okay? Um, it will be interesting to watch uh, what happens to Donald next. I, I don't think we have to guess what his agenda is. <laughs> He's trying to stir up uh, first envy uh, and then resentment and then even hatred, like Big Brother in Brave New World. And when people are made to hate and feel angry, then they're more malleable. Big Brother can take care of them more, more easily. But his agenda, I mean, I think everyone realizes that, that Mr. Trump is kind of a narcissist and it comes back to being all about him. I, I think, haven't noticed that. I think that would be his agenda, one point, a one-point program, and, and that's not good for the country. Uh, Governor, you were just talking about how um, uh, the, the conservative party is it's going to be fracturing in half, and a large part of that is the evangelical uh, community. They're kind of all over the board and, you know, fighting each other right now on why are we supporting Trump with, with all of the things that he's saying about women, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you know, a lot of them are falling back to the, to the it's the Supreme Court and, and it's the lesser of two evils. Well, those choices are still, the lesser of two evils is still an evil choice. So how do you, I think a lot of the faith community are hesitant to go the libertarian route um, because in the past they've looked as the Republicans as the ones who support their you know, causes. So how do you, as the libertarian candidate, convince the evangelical or the Christian or the faith community that the libertarian choice is the moral choice? Well, I mean, I do think that <clears throat> the, the fiscally responsible voters who are historically part of the Republican Party, and that includes the, the large majority of evangelicals, they're not wild-eyed radicals when it comes to the budget, and uh, you know, they, they are calm. They're part of the calm Republican majority. So I would hope that they would wind up back on that same side with uh, the Romneys and the Bushes uh, of, uh, of the world. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Mr. Trump's voters are going to return to the Democratic Party. Uh, a lot of them are Reagan Democrats who maybe used to, be, uh, used to be Democrats, but I think the Democratic Party has just got too fancy for them. So it might be a very interesting kind of coalition on the, uh, the R side 
uh, of the equation. But I would expect the evangelicals to settle there rather than either with the Democrats or with the so-called Trump faction. One of the, um, <clears throat> uh, because I, I believe our founders were libertarian and they were deeply and profoundly religious men. Um, it doesn't, um, because you believe in religion, especially with these guys, they believe <clears throat> deeply in religion, but they knew religion through the state was really bad. Right. Um, we don't have <clears throat> that in spades now. We have a lot of people who believe in religion but want something from the government. Um, uh, but when I was talking to Gary, he said that um, uh, he believed that he, you had to be involved in the wedding cakes. And, you know, if I'm selling cupcakes and somebody comes in with something that is against my, my value system through my faith, I have to sell you a cupcake. But if you ask me to make something, if I'm a photographer yeah. and I have to go and, and take pictures of a ceremony that I don't want to be a part of, if, if, if you're going to be a Satanist, I have to go take a picture of your Satanist thing. I should not have to do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think you have to sell them a cupcake if you're a baker, but you don't have to sell them a cupcake with a swastika on it. Correct. Yeah. Gary doesn't go that far. Gary fought us on that, and really? I was shocked. And that's one of the things that I think the faith <clears throat> community is leery of. He appears to have more trust in the government than in the people of faith. No, I don't think that's, I, I don't think that's right. Uh, Gary is, you know, I have heard him say, when you get over to the social side of the ledger, we don't want to impose any views on anybody. It's almost like he's more, more of an agnostic than, yeah. uh, than a liberal. Correct. You know, if someone uh, wants to be, you know, practice an evangelical uh, brand of Christianity, that's great. I was raised a Presbyterian. Mm -hmm. I raised my kids Episcopalian. Gary was raised a Lutheran. So we're all Protestants in, mm -hmm. that, in that tent. And that's fine. But, you know, I used to say when I was in office, my best social service agency is the Catholic Church because they're really good at taking care of unwed mothers and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Parochial schools are mm -hmm. a wonderful part of our society. Uh, and so while I may have disagreed with the Catholic Church doctrinally on some, quote, social sure. issues, I kept pouring the money into them so they could do this service, which they did a lot more efficiently and a lot more humanely than the state government would have done. And how, how do you break down the, the traditional thinking? Because I think this is a really, this is messaging, I think, that no candidates have tried to even break down. It's just traditionally it's been conservative, you know, Republican right. Party. How do you message that to this community, to the faith community, and to conservative Christians that, that the government stepping back is actually can end up being the more, you know, lead yeah, to the morals that they're looking for? Maybe the way for. to put it is that uh, under the libertarian worldview, everybody would be free to practice their own uh, religion, irrespective of what anybody else thought, and with absolutely no interference uh, from anybody. It's like the so-called Utah compromise that recently passed in Utah on this uh, religious uh, mm -hmm. uh, point, it actually enshrined uh, in, in a practicing religion, an organized religion, the right to do what you want as a church. And those rights were, you know, inviolable. And the church can do something, things as a church under the Utah compromise, as I understand it, that maybe individuals wouldn't have the same rights as the church. But in terms of 
freedom of exercise of religion, that would be a very strong move in that direction. So to build on that a little bit for the Supreme Court, you know, evangelicals are, like we've already talked about, they're using the Supreme Court, like, okay, this, this person might appoint this person, this person might appoint this person. We only know the two sides. If you were to be elected, what would be some of the characteristics that you would look for in or an appointee? People, do you have people or people in mind? In mind? Yeah, I, every time I mention names, I get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Kaczynski is a good name, I know, because he's on a list that we're kicking around in, internally, and I think he's a brilliant, uh, a brilliant guy. I mean, I think one uh, line of analysis we would have is limited government, government of enumerated powers as opposed to making up new powers for the government, because that get, gets to our bedrock issue of smaller government, limited government, which is a lot of what it means to me to be a libertarian. What about Judge Andrew DiPolitano? Now, he doesn't think anything is constitutional, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, you are now with CBN. Correct, yes. It's got to be interesting coming <laughs> from here and going there, um, especially at this time with everything. What is your, what's your focus? What are you hearing and feeling there? Yeah, um, uh, and actually CBN and, and The Blazing share a lot of, lot of common things. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're starting up a new site called faithwire.com. And we're, you know, we're trying to focus and show people the news and then also give them a way to get involved. And, um, and so like, one of the stories we're looking at is, uh, is Haiti. Um, the media sort of gobbled up and, and showed the destruction there and then moved on. But the crisis there is actually, like, completely out of control. Um, and Haiti is possibly one of the worst locations on Earth yeah. to live. Yeah. With and the, everything that goes on from social to weather. And every Horrible. time they try, every time they make a little bit of progress, because there are a lot of groups there trying to help out. And every time they make a little a bit of progress, something happens and they, another storm, another earthquake, and they just get pushed way back. Only 1% of the homes on the, on the west coast uh, of Haiti survived this storm. 1%. I mean, you know, they're not great structures there. And so these people are just living out under the moon, under the stars at night, and uh, they're waiting, cut off from the, from the uh, Port-au-Prince um, with all the flooding and everything. And so they're waiting for food, and they can't get this food. And what's happening is uh, most of the shipments are coming in through, through government, you know, the bureaucrats, and they're in the middle of an election. They were supposed to have a presidential election, and this hurricane came, and it got postponed. And what's happening now is these politicians are, are taking We have the pictures up uh, on our website, but the politicians are taking it, and they're funneling it to the areas that are beneficial to them. Yeah, sure. Uh, and they're, they're, picture, they're putting their pictures on the trucks, like, hey, like, we, brought you the, we brought you the rice. In the rice cans come the little flyers with the politicians. So these people are crying out for help. Uh, and... You know, nobody's listening. I mean, we've got our election and we've got things going on. I understand that. But, but um, I think it's important to shine the light. So what are you guys that. doing? Um, well, we're pointing to some of the different private organizations and private charities that are, that are helping out down there. And we have the links on, on our website and we can, we can put them up here and, and, and just giving people a chance to, to help out and actually directly benefit. Uh, like one of the towns is Jeremy, and that's one of the towns that got hardest hit. And, uh, and the people there are like, when the tr- food trucks come in, they're so desperate, they're just overwhelming these food trucks and you know some people just out of their desperation are hoarding this stuff and there's so many people who can't get it so um we're giving you ways to to give back and to try to help directly into the situation the private organizations is something me and dan have a long history with of seeing this in action because when we went to sinjar in iraq last year the, the the groups that were privately funded by private ngos or church groups or anything like that those had those had hope 
those were the best taken care of. They had the best people there. They, they had actually had hope towards what was in the future. But the government-controlled ones? Yeah. Oh, they had their logos all over the place. You know, UNHCR, all mm-hmm. the other different logos all over, you know, their signs. But they were desolate. Yeah. They were horrible. Horrible living. Everyone there, one guy said he was just there to wait to die, yeah. basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. They had no hope whatsoever. Yeah. It is such a scam. And I don't think, and I don't think it's like this diabolical evil plan by like the UN or these other bureaucra- bureaucratic it agencies. I just think it's the way, it's, <laughs> but it's the way it's set up. Can I tell you something? The way it's set up, it, it, it takes your heart out of it. It takes your heart out of it. And when you're engaged on a ground level, individually, either donating directly to somebody or you're on the ground and you're going and doing it, your heart is in it. And we saw the difference firsthand, the effect that has on people, you know, who are under the wing of either a private one where people care. You know, because it's the love part of it that actually has more to do with just the physical. You know, you need will, both. You need both. I will tell you, though, I went to the air show this weekend, and it was the perfect example of government, what government does opposed to the private sector. First of all, no way I could, I could fly five jets that close to each other and that close to the ground in a crowd if it was private organization. I couldn't do it. Uh, uh, the, the sound of those jets coming over the neighborhoods. I'm sure somebody privately would have had to do it. But the big thing that got me was, um, and the amount of fuel used, um, the big thing that got me was watching for the first 25 minutes of them just starting up and taking the ladder off and everything else, which was kind of cool for maybe five. And then they had to go down, and then you know we had to hear this long thing about the Thunderbirds and and they were sitting at the jets, and all of the kids in the crowd were like, come on, come on. And dads are like, no, this girl, you're going to love this. By the time 20 minutes goes by, the kids are gone. And I said to a friend of mine, the private sector, only the government could get away with doing a show like that. Because the private sector, they would have gone and said, you know what, if you can't cut the first 20 minutes out of that show, we don't want you. But because they're the only ones that can do it, we put up with it. And they, they screw it up every single time. We have to get back to private sector people doing things. I mean, not necessarily flying the jets over our cities, but <laughs> everything but that. You yeah. know, one of the problems is, is that the private sector has no PR, to put, to put it in not-so-better terms. But, like, all these groups, like NGOs, like private church groups, all those groups, no one is telling their story. No one tells you. Everyone hears about what the government will do in, you know, Nigeria or whatever. But nobody hears about the little guy taking care of all the other little guys. No one hears that. I will tell you, I've never wanted to sell books for an author more than this guy. And he doesn't have any books. You can buy it. I think you can buy it online. You didn't even know this. But I think you can buy it online, at least digitally, through Kindle and Amazon. But you can't buy a hardbound. Because it came out in 2012, right? And it is, I'm telling you, it, you should read it, Governor. It explains where America is. If people want to get involved with you guys in the campaign, what do they do? You know, the best thing they can do for us, other than talk across the fence, hanging the laundry to their neighbors, is probably to go to johnsonwell.com, and it'll show you how you can get involved as a volunteer. And I want to say that the easiest thing to do is just go and push our story on social media. That's much more powerful than paid political advertising these days. People get sick of the paid ads, but on social media, things go viral. That's how, that's how we could catch lightning the, in the bottle. What did we start the show with? What, what was that film? Uh, rigged 2016. What is it? Rigged, rigged 2016. Yeah, they came in and they interviewed me several times. I, didn't, I had no idea. I was kind of surprised that it, was, it, it ended up being kind of a campaign thing. But it was, uh, uh, it's great. I watched it and it's really, really good. 
Um, and you can get that at Rig 2016. I believe so, yeah. Rig 2016. Yeah, it's, it's worth watching. It's an hour documentary, and it's, it's really, really good. Dan, will, yes. you, will you give us a closing prayer? Sure, sure. Thanks. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Um, and thank you for just being an awesome, powerful God um, who is in control of everything. And um, I thank you for these conversations tonight. Um, and, and I just pray that it would open people's eyes to think in a different way, to free them from, uh, uh, you know, just in-the-box thinking. And, and um, we just have them look for a higher vision, Lord, and look for other ways to do things, and that um, ultimately that uh, you would be glorified in that, and that people wouldn't be afraid, Lord, that, um, that no matter what happens in this election season, that uh, it's not a surprise to you. Um, it's not catching you off guard. And uh, let people... Um, you know, fight for your principles, your values, but at the end of the day, trust in your promises uh, and that you are good and that you work all things for good. And uh, we just ask all these things and we pray these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great week of history on Glenn tomorrow. Don't miss it. His story, except it's her story tomorrow. A story you've never heard. Only here tomorrow night from Dallas. Good night, America. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.